Marcel earlier that it's not often that Africa comes um, to us or uh, very often. So uh, we're so glad, Marcel, to have you here. Um, I want to show you where Marcel is from. If you see on this map, um, he is from the Ivory Coast. So you'll see this little orange squiggle right here. And um, he's serving as a missionary for the past three years in the Central Africa Republic. And so Marcel has an incredible story, and um, he's going to bless us by uh, partaking in a little interview with me in front of y'all. So uh, it is our treat and our honor to have you here. So would y'all just welcome Marcel. Marcel, we are interested in several questions, but first off, we just want to know um, how you knew that the Lord was calling you to do his work, to choose to follow him and go and serve. But before that, let me introduce myself to you. My name is Marcel Sachou. Kofi is my last name. I'm originally from Côte d'Ivoire. And... Um, I've started my ministry work since 1990 in Côte d'Ivoire in very remote places of this country. I served for two years in the central part of Côte d'Ivoire, three other years in the northern part, and five years in the eastern part. These are very challenging places where ladies are not allowed or eligible to go to school. They are forced to get married uh, in their very tender age you have something like 95% of Muslims. Uh, so I started the work there, and I found that people need schools. People need to, to be educated. They need to, to, to meet Jesus Christ, but they don't have this opportunity. This is the time that I felt that God was calling me. So I went to many places like Burkina. You can see Burkina over there, just on top of Côte d'Ivoire, Niger, and then Guinea, Conakry. I went there, and um, uh, since we had some people who were working as civil, international civil workers, I went to meet some people, and then we gathered the students uh, from Côte d'Ivoire, because whenever you go to another place, you, you don't have uh, a good stand. Uh, you, you, you are a little bit disturbed because you are in another country. So uh, we, I gathered people from Côte d'Ivoire. We were in Burkina. Uh, they were at university. And then uh, we, I gathered them together to start to pray, to, to reflect on their Christian life. So uh, we planted, I planted two uh, churches over there. And then I found out that it's good for me to answer God's call to go to other nations as well. That's beautiful. Yeah. How did you know that God was calling you? Did you hear from him? What was that like? Yes, from the experience I had, I understood that there is um, cultural barriers. That, But people, I have the faith. I've been called, and then I have to share the, this faith. Um, let me tell you how I came to Christianity. In fact, my, my father and my mother got divorced when I was only two years old. So uh, my father never went to church. 
And then uh, my uncle will take me to Roman Catholic Church. And then when uh, it is holidays, I'll go to my mom. She will take me to Methodist Church. I will follow these two parents, but never get converted until 1982. I went to a Bible call camp, and then the pastor asked me three questions. Are you born again? How are you living your Christian life? How often do you read your Bible? So through the conversation, uh, I got to know that it's not that enough to, to be Methodist or Baptist or uh, even um, uh, Roman Catholic. But it's uh, a time that you need to be connected um, to Jesus. He's the very one who paid the price. For, and he came just to, to give us opportunity to be new, a new person uh, uh, with the transformation of the Holy Spirit. And then I found out that the Bible is a very book that can help us be mature in our Christian lives, that we don't need to struggle. If you have the Bible, you now can be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Marcel, what were you doing at the age of about 19 or 20 years old? Um, at that time, um, I got converted. I was just um, a student, but I didn't know the Lord until I get to this camp I'm telling you about. Um, so um, um, today I'm feeling very happy as I meet you people here because uh, most of our people, young uh, adults, they don't want to go to, to church. Right. Uh, some of them just rely on their father's faith. But it is, um, you, don't, you are not born as a Christian, but one day you just take the opportunity, decision to become um, a follower of Jesus Christ uh, through hearing the word of God. And Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, at that time you will be saved. And the other one is Romans 10, verse 17, that... The, Faith comes by hearing. And if you hear the word of God and you surrender to this word, you can be saved. That is a beautiful truth. Um, Marcel, I, we were talking earlier, and he was telling me that where he serves in the CAR, that about 15% are Muslim, and then about 50% are Christian, and then the other are idol worshipers. Is that... Uh, Yes, idol worshippers, they are people that they don't believe in God. So in their culture, they have the small, small gods, so they are shrines. And then uh, their belief, even though some people are converted, they still rely on the old beliefs of their fathers. So they are just nominal Christians. That they can just say, I'm Christian, but in reality, they don't believe to Jesus Christ. So these people, uh, sometimes I call them idol worshipers. Yeah. They are not true disciples of the Lord. When you are building a relationship with these 
that you call idol worshipers and you're talking about Jesus, what are some of the, the stories of Jesus that you share um, that speaks to them? Uh, in fact, sometimes they, they can have people who are sick and then they go to meet the, the, the somebody else that can also give them juju <laughs> and that can heal the, the person. So I told them that we no longer have to, to go to, to do sacrifice of uh, chicken, of uh, some other animal that Jesus paid the price for us. But through Jesus, we can have divine healing. Uh, his Holy Spirit can heal us. That you don't need to go to the the other people over there. Beautiful. Yeah. What have you learned about God and yourself while you have been serving? What's something that you've learned about God? Um, what I heard from God is that uh, it is not that enough to start to have an experience with God in an area, and then this is okay. When you go to another place, you still need to be flexible. You still need to be patient. Uh, ask God, how can I get to these people? How can I share the gospel and get them converted? Uh, it is not the first time if we go there, they already have God. But how you can connect them to God, this is the issue. So you still need to pray, oh God, give me the new strategy. And then since I'm in Central Africa Republic, I'm praying that God will give me a new strategy. And my strategy is how I can, I can take them to Jesus Christ through social action. Uh, building a bridge of love. I'll tell you about that because in Central Africa Republic, this is a country uh, that is, uh, has passed through many political and military situations. Uh, these people, uh, those you have 15%, but people you come from Chad, from Uganda, from Sudan, they'll come and kill all the Christians. They'll burn all the things the Christians have just for them to settle and exploit the natural resources. So it is very challenging. But these people still need clean water. They still need hospital. They still need schools. So if I go to Central Africa Republic and just worry my uh, pastoral attire like this, they kill me. Just two minutes and this the end for me. But if I use a project as uh, constructing school, uh, I go with... Uh, a medical doctor, and we start there, them knowing that we are pastors, we can um, construct a, an a health center, a well or a borehole. They will adopt us for some time, maybe two or three years, before we start one-to-one -one evangelism. And then maybe somebody, a family can be open, will now come back to share the gospel. So we will share the gospel uh, using the bridge of love, oh, love taking the felt, going to uh, using the felt need, uh, using the social action to get them uh, connected with the Lord.
Wow, so starting with some social justice, starting yes. with a need, yes. and then using the bridge of love to, yeah. to then speak. Yeah. Um, that's a really good model. Marcel, when, uh, I know that mission work can be exhausting, and, and just life in general is exhausting, amen? <laughs> um, and so what's, what, what verse do you lean on when you're needing strength, or what story in Scripture do you pull from during those moments? Okay, my, my model is uh, just uh, a leader like David. When I got there, actually, I was very impatient because I thought that the mission was already established, that they had everything settled. Um, and then I found out that the mission was not organized and well structured. So I have started to set up the Women Fellowship, Youth Fellowship, Choir, and LD things before uh, we start discipleship training. So you, you need to, to be patient enough to, 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 to build trust, to build good relationship for people to trust you. It's not easy, just, don't just jump on people and say, this is what you need to do. You need to build trust. You need to, to, to love them. Uh, because the people you don't know, they, you, you may think that they are very difficult, that they are very wicked. You need to build trust and uh, uh, love them. I want to close with this question. I was telling Marcel that, Wesley, we have a partnership with an orphanage in Ghana, Africa, which is right next to Cote d'Ivoire, yeah. where Marcel is from. Um, and so my first, this is a two-part question. So the first part is, uh, if anyone in this room was to travel to Africa to do mission work, what advice would you give to them? Um, first, they should be connected with the Lord. You cannot give anything you don't have. Before giving or sharing something with another person, you need to have the Jesus you're going to, to, to share with these people. And then you need to be very patient. You need to be very prayerful. Because in Africa, we had some kind of many uh, spirits, demons, <laughs> uh, devils. Uh, even though you, you are um, uh, from here, if you get there in the bush, you can catch some demons over there. So. <laughs> I'm working in the area of uh, casting out demons in evangelism. So you need to, to get connected with the Lord before you go there. And then as we are going there, you need to, be, uh, you need to have many uh, things for ex because you don't have hospitals there. Supplies so, and that kind of yes, thing. Yes, insurance for you to, to be well treated. <laughs> Don't get malaria. Yes, we thing. have malaria. We have anything. flu. Everything. <laughs> so you need to. to <laughs> that kind of thing. Well, Marcel, this has been just such a special treat. Um, I'm wondering, there's several in this crowd that just have such a heart for mission work and living missionally every day. And I just wonder what, if you were to define what living missionally looks like every day, what would that be? Um, I think you need to have a 
cross-cultural mind. You are going to from a perspective to another country. So you don't think that these people, they, they have nothing at all, that you will be the one taking them to God. No, they already have a point of contact, but you have to, to know them very well, love them before you start the work. But actually, I'm very um, happy to, to have you here. And the name you are bearing is very important. But it is Wesley. Um, in our places, before I come here, people told me that uh, in, America, in America, people are not going, the youth are not going to church, that only old men just go to church. But this night, I see that uh, most of you are young, and I'm very delighted. <laughs> and then I also saw that you, um, John Wesley is the father of Methodism. And uh, his life and, and Charles Wesley's, their life just had impact in the situation of England because at that time, England, this political situation was not that good. But the way they worshipped every morning in, at Oxford gave a very good impact in the, the life, uh, the transformation of the whole England. That's encouraging to us. This is a room of, of people that are, are longing to know the Lord more and are so encouraged by your story and how you're serving. So can we give Marcel a round of applause? And hey, guys, I'm going to be reading Genesis 22, verse 1 through 18. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders, while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar, altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yara, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On this mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. 
Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of your enemies, and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. This is from Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12, 14. Hebrews 12, 14. I want to give it to you in the, in the, new, um, in the, the new Revised Standard. It says... Pursue peace with everyone and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Pursue peace with everyone and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So tonight in some, some Bible study time, I want to share with you um, a, um, a posture and two pursuits and then an example of, um, of how we should spend the time that we spend on that moving sidewalk that is God moving us to that place of being holy whole. And if, you, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, reach back and listen to last week's teaching to get up to speed. But the quick of that is, um, from the passage in 1 Thessalonians 5 that we looked at last week, it says that it is God doing the work of making us holy and whole. And, and our part is simply to step on the moving sidewalk and to go with God where God would take us. That is to the place of being holy and whole. So it's been on my mind since then, and I thought, well, what do you do if you're on this moving sidewalk? I mean, I mean, you know, you, you might be a, a runner, or you might be a stander, you might be a walker, but but what does the Bible say about what you should do on this moving sidewalk? And this this passage came to mind, and I think this passage nails it. That what you do when you're in the process of being made holy and whole by God technical word sanctification, when you're in the process of being made holy and whole, that uh, the best thing to do is to pursue peace with everyone and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So I give you those two things as the pursuits while we're in the process of being made holy and whole. And I want to tell you that the posture that you take on that moving sidewalk as you're in process of being made holy and whole, the posture is that of a surrendered will. And those two things, the posture and the pursuits, work together so that as God is making you holy and whole, you're partnering with God, you're participating with God, you're making God's job even a little easier as you're pursuing peace with everyone and as you're pursuing the holiness that is prerequisite for being with, with the Lord. The word pursue, it's, uh, it's not just like a casual follow-after it's not just a casual kind of seek, kind of looking for something, but it is a relentless hunt. It is a locked-in focus, uh, a, a striving, a seeking, a, a, a search-and-rescue-style pursuit. It's a I'm-coming-after-you kind of following. And it's that kind of dogged determination that we're called to pursue peace with everyone and to pursue the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So to pursue peace means locking in and hunting down well-being for everyone and not just for yourself. To pursue peace means a locked-in focus as you hunt down well-being for everyone. Remember from last week that peace is not what the eagles sang about, but peace is 
uh, a, a huge, broad sense of well-being. Here's the thing, when you're pursuing peace, when you're pursuing peace, you're not merely looking for that peaceful, easy feeling from the Lord. Instead, you're looking for the well-being of all creation. That is biblical peace. Looking for, locked in, pursuing the well-being of all creation. Let me tell you about a, an example of that that came in a proud parent moment last night for Linda and me. We were on the phone talking to Rebecca, our, our daughter. She's 25. She's a seminary student. Uh, married, lives in Kentucky, and we were talking on the phone, and she, uh, she, she shared with us uh, something that's going on with, with her, and, and it resulted in this proud parent moment as she said, uh, you know, I'm going, to, I'm going to start working in a strip club, and, uh, and she is, but she's going to actually receive some training first, and um, Rebecca, through some contacts, a woman came and preached at chapel and, and told about a small ministry in, uh, in Lexington where, where women befriend the women who work in these strip clubs. And Rebecca is, feels called to step into that, to that work. Um, definitely a proud parent moment. Um, not exactly the words that... You typically would expect to make a parent feel proud, but, but in this case, uh, definitely so. Because the peace and the well-being of the strippers matters. Uh, Rebecca, uh, not content to just look for her own little peaceful, easy feeling, but as she is in the process of, of being made holy and whole, she cares about the people that, that, that she sees on the periphery. And... This is one way that one person is reaching out and making a difference. And I'd say to you, that raises a question. That as you pursue peace with everyone, that doesn't just mean take care of yourself and find your little happy niche in life. It means look around to the side. As you're being made holy and whole in the Lord, look around and see others who aren't. Who are struggling, who are suffering, who have a need. And find a way to get involved and be engaged with their need so that they too could know a broader sense of peace and well-being. Look for those opportunities. Pursuing peace is this locked-in hunt for the well-being of everyone, not just for yourself. And if, by the way, anybody feels a sense of calling to mission work in Africa, maybe in the Central African Republic, I know a guy who, um, who could, uh, could help you with that. Um, Pursue peace. Pursue peace with everyone. Pursue peace for everyone. And it also says pursue holiness. Pursue the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Holiness is prerequisite. It's prerequisite for people like us connecting with a holy God. And, uh, and we're told to pursue holiness. Not just a, I'm trying to clean up my act kind of holiness. That's not what it's talking about. Not me trying to clean up my act. But what it's talking about is trust in the holiness of Jesus to make me holy in God's eyes. And such a trust in the holiness of Jesus that His holiness actually takes root in my life and begins to grow as, as native holiness. Um, theologians talk about um, um, alien holiness versus native holiness. And the idea is that alien holiness is the holiness of Jesus that covers our Unholiness, and it makes us holy in the eyes of God. 
alien to us because it's not our own. It's Jesus's for us in our place. But then when you come to trust Jesus by faith, and as you continue to trust him by faith, his holiness begins to take root in your life and grow in your life such that it becomes native to your life, not because you're that good, but because Jesus is. And what was alien to you becomes native to you because Jesus is growing in your life. That's what it means to pursue the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It's not that that you suddenly become a, a holiness pro and you're that good at it, but it means that Jesus is that good at it and you're just aggressively trusting him That's what it means to pursue holiness. Just as you become a Christian by trusting in Jesus, you pursue holiness and and grow in holiness by trusting the holiness of Jesus. Now, this hits us at a place, um, the the, the place where it hits us, where it either happens or it doesn't happen, is is our will. You might say that, that you either will or you won't because of what happens in your will. Your will is that place in you and me where what you think and what you feel and what you want all converge. It's like a three-way intersection of what you feel and what you think and what you want. They all converge and what comes out of that three-way intersection is what you do. That's what happens in your in your will. And the posture that pursues peace and holiness requires a surrendered will. You're not going to do these things. You're not going to pursue peace for everyone and with everyone. And you're not going to pursue holiness unless, it, unless something happens in your will that sparks that and that turns that. So I want to lift up to you an example. And it, and it is the example of Abraham. Holly shared the story. Um, one of the most dramatic stories, I think, in all of Scripture. But it's a, a case study in where God can take you with, a, with the posture of a surrendered will. Abraham gives us a case study of where God can take you with a surrendered will. Now, let me just say a word about this. This story never was going to be about Isaac getting sacrificed. That never was the point of this story. It's really shocking, and, and God gets a bad rap, and the Old Testament gets some bad press. Um, but this never was to be a story about child sacrifice. It wasn't going to happen. What it was, was a story from the start about God identifying a potential weakness in his man Abraham and engaging that potential weakness with a test and a challenge that grew Abraham, that sanctified Abraham, that sanctified a weakness and turned it into a new strength. Abraham's a a case study in a surrendered will because that's exactly what happened when God called and he he answered. And the way the story played out, there are points after point through, through the story where Abraham's will engaged with God and he went with God and he trusted God because he knew God. And in the process of 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 investing his full will, Abraham was experiencing peace and holiness. So let's look at the story and, and, uh, and learn what we can learn from, from Abraham here. And let me just tell you, if, um, if this is a story about Abraham being tested and strengthened, 
sanctified in a weak area, then it could be your story too. If there's an area that you know is a weakness or a struggle in your life, just imagine what that could be in the hands of God if you invest that into God's hands by an act of your will. So the, the story, um, here's the... Verse 2, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. Something about that just kind of sounds like John 3, 16. We're talking about a son, we're talking about a much-loved son. (laughs) Take your son, your only son, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah, sacrifice him there. Um, First thing that we gather from Abraham is the sanctifying process of being made Holy and whole is, a, is an experience in which God will probably ask us to do hard things like he asked Abraham to do a hard thing. But hard things not just for the sake of exercise or not for the sake of just doing hard things, but God asks us to do hard things on the way to better things. If you ever have a sense that God's asking you to do a hard thing, it's because there's a better thing on the other side of that. Um, and look... Look in, look in to yourself. If there's a thing that you're really unwilling to surrender to God, don't even want to talk about it, don't even want to name it, because if I name it and bring it up, then God knows that you named it, then you might have to deal with it, but God already knows what it is, so don't worry about naming it, it doesn't change anything. Um, But if there's a thing that you're most unwilling to surrender, understand that that is a, a strategic thing about you in a place where where growth in grace could be phenomenal. The place where you're most unwilling to go with God may be a place where your growth could be the richest. So don't be too stingy with with that thing. Maybe tonight you're not ready to to call it what it is or even to, to give it over to God, but if you just would be so honest tonight as to name a place of struggle... Like, if God ever asked me to do that, there's, hard, there's no way I could ever do that. Just be that honest with yourself to, to name what that thing would be. And that just might be the start of working that out with the Lord. The story goes on, Genesis 22, down to verses 6 and 7. So the Abraham and Isaac and the servants set out. Um, verses 6 and 7, Abraham packs the wood on Isaac's shoulders and they, they walk on up ahead. Notice how God allows Abraham to feel some of the bitterness that God himself would later feel when he gave his son for our sakes. In the story, you know how it ends. Abraham didn't go all the way with this. But there for a little while, I think Abraham felt some of what God would later feel as he gave Jesus to us. See, Abraham's experience here kind of foreshadows God's experience later on. And then there's this from the Abraham story. When, when there's a, a will, when there's a will that's already being made holy and whole, when, when you've kind of gotten this process started with God, you've stepped onto the moving sidewalk and you're going where God's taken you, um, you're building up an experience with God that makes it a little more natural to trust God the next time something comes comes up. And that's what happened for Abraham. 
Um, Abraham has a, a heightened capacity for confidence in God because he's already been going with God for a while. And that gave him a heightened sense of, of confidence in, in how this story was going to play out. Look at verse 5. When they arrive at the place, notice what Abraham says to the servants. Y'all stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there. And then we will be right back. Abraham had this extraordinary confidence that he was, he was in motion obeying God in the thing that God had told him to do, but he knew the character of God well enough to know that it wasn't going to play out that exact way. He had this confidence that came from his experience with God and his knowledge of God that we will be right back. It's not me alone. And then over in, in verse 8, when Isaac says, Hey, Dad, we're, we're, uh, we're missing something here. Where's the sheep? Verse 8, Abraham says, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Hey, I would challenge you to flex your confidence in God as you pursue peace and holiness. Flex your confidence in God. It is not all up to you. It is not all up to you. You've got a part to play. And more than doing it yourself, your, your part is to flex your confidence in God as you pursue a life of peace and holiness. On down to verse 13 in the Abraham story here. Um, the sanctification of, of Abraham's will is accomplished when God provides a, a lamb. And there's a really cool parallel that the sanctification of, of us is accomplished because God provided a lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. To verse 14, this resulted in this place getting named, the Lord will provide. The point being that, that when you sacrifice your will, when you surrender your will, when you pursue peace and holiness, that leads to an experience that is called... <laughs> The Lord provides. And then to verse 18, the result of this for Abraham was wide blessing for the whole world. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. You see, a sacrificed will, on a small scale or on a large scale, a sacrificed, surrendered will to God results in wider blessing. It's about more than you. There's blessing in it for you for sure. But there's a whole lot more blessing for those around and even for the wide world. Um, through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Guess who one of Abraham's descendants was? A guy named Jesus from a small town in the Middle East. And all the world is blessed. Um, because Abraham surrendered his will he gives us an example of what it looks like to pursue peace and to pursue holiness. So let me just end this with two, two ways that our wills can work. One, your will is fully functional, all about you. You can, you can operate your will where you're the only factor in the equation. That's one way to operate your will. The other way to operate your will is to operate your will so that your will expresses what you want, and it also factors in God's perspective. And it also factors in the needs of the world and the needs of creation. 
So Abraham, in that moment, I can imagine that, that what Abraham wanted when, when God said, Hey, Abraham, here's a, here's a mission for you to go on. I can imagine that what Abraham wanted was that he wanted his boy and he wanted his life back from being wrecked by God's crazy idea. He, uh, he, he wanted that peaceful, easy feeling <laughs> that he had sung about. And he, and he didn't want to get in trouble with Sarah. I mean, they'd been through a lot to get Isaac. And if he came home without Isaac, uh, how's he going to explain that, that one to Sarah? Abraham had plenty of reasons to act on his will alone and not to factor God into the equation. But he surrendered his will. Abraham mustered up the willpower to see this from God's point of view, to see it through God's eyes, to see it through God's character, to remember not just God's promise to him, but to remember God's promise to the wider world. And so there's the call to you and me to, to widen our wills, to surrender our wills before God, and to widen our wills that, that what we're doing with our life, with ourself, is more, about more than just me. But it's about what God's up to through me and for the world around me. So, if you're going with God to this place of being made holy and whole, um, your posture, your best posture for the ride is a surrendered will. And your best pursuits along the way are to pursue peace with and for everyone and to pursue the holiness that is prerequisite for knowing and experiencing God. Surrender is the posture for pursuing peace and holiness. Let's lift up a word of prayer about that. God, you are extraordinarily faithful to, uh, to want the best for us and to take us to your best. Thanks for wanting us to be holy and whole. Um, God, we just want to admit to you that it's, it's not the easiest thing to get our will going in the same direction as your desires for us. Maybe some of us here tonight are, are ready and able to say, um, God, I'm all in. I, my will is going with you. Others of us here aren't ready to say that. God, I pray that for those of us that we'd just that you'd give us the want to, to want to. That you would start where we are and meet us where we are and grow in us a desire to pursue peace and to pursue holiness. Holy Spirit, reach in and touch us where each of our wills is tonight. Meet us where we are. Lead us to you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.